Hello and welcome back to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Um, God, it's it's a pretty nerve-wracking week for, for most Aston Villa fans, but even more so for us. Uh, tomorrow I'm travelling to the Etihad um, to potentially pick up an award at the Football Blogging Awards. Uh, if we don't, it's going to be a great celebration of football content creators nonetheless. Um, I'm Regan, you can follow me on Twitter at FineFoy and I'm joined today by Mark. Hello everybody, yeah, it's Mark, you can find me at Twitter at VillaMarkPGH. Yeah, really looking forward to the FBAs, I unfortunately will not make it, I'm about 3,500 miles away, but Regan will be attending and uh, it's going to be a going to be a great day regardless, but really really want to win, but we'll see what happens. I'm sure you could make it, you know, just if you start walking now. Yeah, I'll, I'll do donations right now, anybody, VillaMarkPGH, Twitter, hit me up. <laughs> So let's let's start um, at the, the the weekend just passed rather than fast forward into the weekend approaching. Um, Villa Villa faced off against uh, the the crowned champions of the championship Norwich. Um, obviously, they weren't crowned at the time; they were crowned after the game. But they they rested some key players. We had the likes of Tammy Abraham missing. We had the likes of McGinn, Grealish, Mings, El Mahamedi, El Ghazi, all missing from the starting eleven. Um, and we didn't look like a side that was really missing any key players, if if we're honest. Yeah, it really never looked like you know they were out of out of sync whatsoever. Even had players that didn't really come into the side much this season for one reason or another. Henry Lansbury got a lot of stick this year because he couldn't seem to really stay healthy. But um, you know. In the game for Norwich, he did pretty well. He had three key passes and 87.5% passing accuracy. Not so bad for a footballer who hasn't played much this season. Uh, you know, But yeah, the team the team didn't really play bad in, in terms of how it was. Norwich was the better you know team on the day. Villa had some problems finishing, but you know it was it was still a promising game. You can't can't come out of that game with you know any type of really negative feeling. Yeah, there were some chances that did go begging for Villa. Um, both Andre Green and Jonathan Kodja could have probably. Uh, you know, probably given us the lead at certain points in the game. Um, Codger obviously got Villa's only goal of the game in a two-one defeat, and I think that was quite a, a technically astute goal from from Codger. You know, he he's missed out on a, a lot of football this season due to Tammy Abraham, and I could probably see him leaving in the summer, regardless of what league we're in, just because of that. But he he had a, a decent game in my opinion. You know, watching from the stands, I thought that he. He was perhaps a little bit behind uh, the tempo at times, but other than that, he was he was impressing me. Yeah, Koch had a pretty good game. You actually look at his individual heat map. He was he was actually hanging around uh, hanging around the midfield a lot more. He was dropping deeper, and that's something you usually see from Tammy Abraham. This might be something that Kaja wants to get, you know, get to his game, maybe show off a little bit. Like you said, we don't know really what's going to happen with him in the summer, regardless of promotion or not. I also believe it's one of those things where the work rate that Dean Smith. Uh, system demands he almost has to do that to track back and try to help out the midfield as much as he can almost as like a pressing forward but yeah some some chances went begging for him you know it was great to see Connor Horahan you know another free kick assist he's just an absolute weapon out there from from free kick you know positions and it, it that's something you definitely need going into the playoffs you know but yeah again Kaj had a pretty good game that's that's something you want to see from him is, t- is technical finishing and he's going to be a great asset off of the bench for in the sure I've, I've got a question for you like we we're thinking really that we're going to start with either Doma or Green on the right hand side. Would you consider putting Kodja there for the home game? 
I would not because of his previous form in the past four games with the three goals have come from the striking position. I wouldn't try to unbalance that by just trying to throw him off in a different position. Everyone's going to have a different opinion for me. I think he'd just stick to where he knows. I, th- I think he'd actually be hungry coming off the bench, knowing that himself that he's in good form and, you know, Tammy's out there and whatever Tammy does, but I wouldn't throw him out on any position. I'd keep him a striker. That makes for sense. Now. And th- that 2 1 loss to, to Norwich really solidified that Villa were going to be playing West Brom in the playoff semi finals. Um, and the, the first the first leg of which was going to be at Villa Park. Uh, the Baggies finished in fourth place with 80 points, um, which really was was down to their, their goal-scoring threats in uh, Dwight Gale and Jay Rodriguez. Yeah, they're both really prolific strikers. I think it's one of these type of situations where you're having two, sometimes three players that carry a team to where they finish out on the table. I definitely think it's you know this kind of case. Uh, West West Brom is a very you know good team in terms of being technical ability, but you you can't you can't run away from the fact that forty five goals are split between two strikers. Uh, West Brom plays a couple different formations than they have over the past month or so, but with Rodriguez and Gale, you know that's going to be a, a tall order of you know a little bit of a tall order for Mings. And I mean we don't even really know who the center back pairing is going to be. We have a bunch of you know healthy defensive players, but yeah, with Gale and Rodriguez, they're definitely the top two scoring threats, and that's definitely something Villa knows about and something. Yeah, to uh, some down. some of their formations have seen them play with uh, uh, three strikers. Um, and at times, Hal Robson Carney has been has been a you know a part of that that three man system. But he's a uh, he got well sent off in the last pretty much the last minute of the final day of the season. So that's going to see him suspended for all uh, all three games if Baggies beat us and get to the final. Yeah, that's not really great for them because he's been playing off the right. It's usually Gale in the middle, Rodriguez off to the left. So, you know, for uh, Robson Canoe to be suspended, that's definitely a plus one on Villa. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if he's facing up uh, against, it it would be a Neil Taylor, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be against Neil. Yeah, Neil Taylor's in some fine form and they're going to have to replace Robson Carnew with someone that perhaps hasn't had as much game time this season or perhaps an older player in the form of of a Chris Brunt or, you know, something along the lines of that. Um, and I think Taylor's going to flourish, having not 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 going to have eh, not having to put up with the likes of Carnu, who can be a tricky player on his day. But at the same time, Carnu and Taylor have played together for for Wales, so I don't think really either either uh, thing was going to be an issue. Yeah, I don't think it was going to be much of an issue. I mean, listen, Neil Taylor's playing great football, and you're hearing you know claims right now. Do you play him in the semi final or not? You know, either one leg or the other. There's a couple. I've seen a couple shots on uh, social media about co- putting Courtney Hors back at left back. I think you just leave Neil Taylor where he's at. He's played remarkable over the past 12, 13, 14 games now. He's to- totally turned his form around. I've said it in previous podcasts. You know, he, he you just you just keep Neil Taylor where he's at. He will get the job done. I I, I do believe in him. Yeah, I, I think the argument for, for Courtney Horse was, um, well, replacing Taylor was shortly in, in uh, reference to Taylor's height. Um, no pun intended there. But Horse, um, obviously, is is the taller player, and he, you know, we've we've seen when when he was paired with Mings at centre back that he he's a. He's great at defending set pieces, and that's that's an area that West Brom is strong in. You know, they they've kind of retained some of their uh, Tony Pulis style set pieces, and they they have scored a fair few goals from it this season. Luckily for Villa, um, we do not really concede many from set pieces, so it's gonna be it, it is gonna be an interesting game. 
I think it'll be very interesting. And, and yeah, Villa with the set pieces this year, at least for Villa, there's there's a lot of positives going on that we haven't seen in years past. You know, a lot of it's more focused on the delivery more so than what you do once the delivery gets there. Uh, that's that's something obviously that, that has been worked on even through like Steve Bruce. You know, I, I wasn't I wasn't so big on Steve Bruce and how he decided to roll out you know free kick opportunities or corner opportunities under Dean Smith. It seems like there's much more of a plan. Uh, I, I think uh, last year I think it was Robert Snodgrass that was taking the majority of the free kicks. This year you have Connor Horhane. It kind of makes you think if he if Bruce would have favored Horhane over Snodgrass last year, could things maybe be a little bit different? Uh, you know, the, can't can't look back. You're not going that way. But with Horhane and you know for you know set pieces and whatnot I think that's definitely the way forward especially in the playoffs you never know when he's going to pop up we've seen him with free kick goals you just never know his left foot's absolutely insane yeah I think I I think you know uh, Snodgrass did score some some absolute belters and he did score some free kicks um but the only thing I'm I'm happy to see is that it's either going to be Jack or uh, it's either or or Connor uh, taking the free kicks um, you know, Jack. Jack hasn't. I don't think he scored a free kick yet, but he has tried some really kind of uh, cheeky things. Very uh, Alexander Arnold esque from the, the Champions League last night. I remember. I think it might have been earlier in the season or maybe last season. Um, it was a really indirect position, quite far out, and I think it might have been against Derby. And he uh, he took a free kick, and it, it was literally no one expected him to shoot, and he ended up hitting the post. Yeah, I think Jack definitely wants to put one in from a, from a set piece. You can see, and he does try some things here and there. And it's great to see. You want that kind of drive. You want that kind of imagination coming out of your midfielder, especially you know for one who has that kind of skill. Like you know, Jack Grealish can shoot. We've we've seen it this season. He he definitely has a shot on him. It's just it's just a matter of getting into the positions, really. And he's he, he's remarkable. I'm sure that'll be something he works on. That's something that you know he he's always trying to get better at his free kick taking ability, whether it be from direct or indirect positions. Yeah, I think um, West Brom have been been using a uh, a three man back line with uh, two wing backs uh, in a couple of games of late. Do you think that they uh, they might kind of employ that kind of style against Villa, or do you think they'll play it a little bit safer? I I don't know what to expect honestly from from a tactical point of view. Uh, if you look over the last month, they've used four different or three or four different formations. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it seems under less when they're facing lesser oppositions, they play three at the back. It seems when they're facing teams that are more mid table, they'll play with those wing backs. And it seems like when they're playing an actual team that might be really really high up on the table or is on a good run, they they play four at the back. So you you really don't know what you're getting in terms of that. For me personally, I think it would be professional suicide to come out with three at the back against Villa with the amount of pace that's in the team. Uh, West Brom isn't the paciest of teams by any stretch of the imagination, and that is one of Villa's absolute strong points. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I don't think they played three three at the back, even even in a in a wing back kind of formation. I, I just don't I don't think they're going to do anything like that. I think they're going to have to almost put as many people in the part of that pitch because they're going to be under pressure, you know, with Villa's pace all game long. They're going to want to want to be solid. They're going to want to actually be organized. I don't think you do that by only having three at the back. Yeah, and something I've uh, I've been really kind of excited about in the in the lead up to this uh, this weekend is. El Ghazi, you know, he was rested against Norwich, and I think if he can channel the El Ghazi that we saw um, at the Hawthorns earlier in the season, then you know that we're going to have a real, real game on our hands. You know, he was he was absolutely sublime in that game. He scored two goals, granted one was a deflection, um, 
but you know the, the the it brings to my memory the the clip of him uh, kind of out in the corner and I think it was Kieran Gibbs and maybe Hagazi that were uh, trying to take the ball from him and he nutmegged Gibbs and just spun past uh, Hagazi and you know if if we, if he's going to play like that especially at Villa Park you know it's it's really going to be a truly special game yeah, he has all the makings to be able to be a complete game breaker through you know the semifinals and the end of the finals if Villa get there. He might be that little bit of an X factor. You don't know what you're getting from him from game to game, but we've seen we've actually seen his form get a lot more consistent over the past five six weeks now. Sometimes he surprises you. He looks like he's not really into the game, and all of a sudden he'll spring up with with an act of brilliance. I I, I just have this instinctual feeling that we're going to see something like that again from Anwar El Ghazi over the, at least the next two games. Uh, I wouldn't even doubt that Dean Smith tries to do something he's done in the past and employ a tactic where they're trying to make inroads into the final third on El Ghazi's left-hand side of the pitch, using him and Neil Taylor and Neil Taylor to overlap, or sometimes when Neil Taylor cuts inside on the ball, El Ghazi gets out wide. They've done that in previous games. Dean Smith knows when to look for a weakness. Not even to say that the right-hand side of the West Brom defense is necessarily weak as much as El Ghazi just might be that, have that little bit of imagination to be able to get into the final third and get Villa into a scoring position. A point I kind of want to raise is um, I'm not sure how much this will affect certain players, but it, it's currently Ramadan, um, so El Ghazi will be will be fasting uh, during the days. I'm not sure about El Mahamadi, and I'm not sure about Hagazi, just because uh, Egypt has such a, a large Christian community. But could this could this possibly have an effect on any of the players? Um, obviously. Without doing my research, I don't know how many of uh, Villa's players or uh, West Brom's players are actually Muslim. But you know, if if we're going to be relying on El Ghazi to have a good performance and he's he's fasting during Ramadan, you know, could could that potentially be a, a downfall for Villa? It could potentially, but if you look at years past, I, I believe the same thing was said. I mean, not not to compare these two players on their skill level, but just on physicality and how Ramadan would affect a, an athlete. I believe the same thing was said about Mo Salah, and he actually kicked off pretty good form around Ramadan last year, I believe. I think it was. And I, I know El Mohammadi was also talked about last year as well. Um, you know, for fasting and whatnot, it, it could definitely you know be an issue. Everyone's different. Um, I'm sure that there are. Um, either little different like techniques or maybe like training or some, some sort of program that these players would you know could get on or understand it you know by now how to take care of themselves under you know that kind of practices e- either which way they're going to play their heart out I mean you can't put you can't put a, a, a price tag or a, a incremental definition on you know heart and determination and you know I'm sure you know being you know proud people of the Muslim faith they still want to be able to perform the best of their ability no matter what in every situation and look positively I can't see it being any different for El Ghazi and El Mohammadi. yeah that makes sense um so I'm pretty sure every single one of our defenders is now healthy this includes uh James Chester who probably isn't quite ready for uh first team appearances again uh Tommy Elphick who was on the bench on Sunday um Twanzebe, House, uh, Taylor, El Mahamadi, are probably Mings. I'm probably missing people, but we have our entire defense. Oh, Hutton, we have our entire defensive uh, lineup available for selection. What what would your back four be, uh, especially at Villa Park? Uh, Villa Park, I, I would stay exactly what what we know and what we've done best at with Neil Taylor at left back, and then um. Courtney Horace, Tyrone Mings, and El Mahamadi off the right. I don't think you change it. It hasn't been broken. It's tough for Tuan Zebe. He plays well. I would like to have him off the bench. 
you know, it's it, 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 it's one of those things you can't you can't mess with it if it's not broken. And Villa's defense hasn't been broken for a long time now, and it's it's crazy. We have a small military worth of defenders right now that are healthy and all wanting to play. You know, it's it's the old saying of you know you go to these players that maybe want to play and maybe trying to break through the first team and you know you you pull them by the ear and you tell them I'm going to need you at some point so be ready and even if you don't need them you know to at least help them out mentally to you know prepare them for yeah my number might be called something may happen but I think you just stay with it with the same old back four that we we've, we've seen through a winning run. See, I'm going to disagree with you and I'm going to say the exact same defense but with Tuanzebe ahead of uh, Courtney Hawes. Um, just simply because against Norwich, Hawes Hawes had a great game. Don't get me wrong, but he looked a bit leggy. You know, he looked like he, obviously he was his, it was his first game back after returning from injury. Um, and Twanzebe has had just as big of a part to play in this unbeaten run. Um, since since Courtney has been injured, you know he's appeared a, a good number of games in the, in the latter halves of the run. Um, and I just feel I don't know I think I feel more uh, comfortable with with Mings and Twanzebe just because of the uh, I, I believe Mings is left footed and uh, Twanzebe is right footed and you know I, I feel like that their partnership is perhaps stronger than Mings and Courtney even though they they arrived at a similar time and they've you know they've kind of bolstered a, a, a strong friendship. Yeah, the only reason why I would I would put uh, Courtney Hors over Twan Zabe as far as starting CB against West Brom, I think West Brom are gonna at some point in time have to result to hoofball tactics. I want a little bit more of a physical, taller uh, center back back there, along with Tyra Mings, and the fact that Tyra Mings and Courtney Horse have both shown the the uh, eccentricity to be able to go forward and ball, you know, actually be ball playing defenders. I, you know, if they actually start making runs toward the the West Brom midfield, the West Brom midfield isn't the paciest you've ever seen in the entire world and I think that that makes them push up which opens up you know the, the front uh, three well I mean you know Tam, Tammy El Ghazi and Green or them or whoever but it opens it up for them for space because the midfield's trying to get back and stop this ball playing defender Tuan Zabi it, it has done really really well he's definitely had a part to play I just want that little bit of a height in case West Brom you know do revert back to playing hoofball I want someone who's a little bit more taller back there a little bit more physical fair enough um so obviously we've just discussed the uh, the back line. Who would you start on the right then? We've obviously said no, Kaja. Would you start Adoma or would you start Andre Green? I'd go with Green. Once again, I want the pace early in the game. Have him have that you know young man absolutely run rampant as much as he can through West Brom. Tire him out a little bit. You know they don't have West Brom isn't you know great in terms of not not to say they're not great, but they're they're not as young as maybe Villa would be. Um, have him run around if he if it's not coming off for him, bring a dome on. Yep, yeah, and I agree. And as well, you've got the added factor that you know he's he's Villa born and bred. He's got that little bit of fire in his belly when he's playing against the likes of West Brom. Yeah, and that that, that takes into account everything. I mean, you, obviously Jack's going to be up for it. Jack knows what this dar- derby means. You know, Green's up for it. He knows what this derby means. Sometimes that little bit of extra, that little bit of incentive. You know, both of these guys probably have mates of theirs that that are West Brom supporters. That's just the way it goes. You know, that's that's going to be something where they're going to want to have the bragging rights. It may sound so silly, you know, to, to say that, but that that goes into to local derbies. You know, these these guys have friends and they have fa- sometimes even family members that support the local team that you know is your rival and they're, they're going to want to that's going to be in their head they want to brag to him about it they want to kind of you know be a little cheeky about it and that, that definitely it can it can be that little bit of deciding factor of getting it over the line or not 
I think it's the same for uh, Courtney as well. Obviously, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's from London originally, but he spent a long period of his career at Wolves, and he'll know exactly what the the rivalry is like. Obviously, Wolves and West Brom have got a huge rivalry as well. Um, so you know, should Courtney start, he'll he'll be well versed in what's expected of him on a on a derby day like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he will be. I, I mean, you spend enough time in a region, you understand what it means to people. You get to learn exactly what you know derbies are all about, and you know, not not to say that it's gonna you know, Midlands derbies are one of a kind. You can look all over England. You know, you can say, you know, these different types of derbies and everything. Like honestly, I, I would rather watch Villa Blues than watch you know Liverpool Everton. Honestly, that's not even me being a Villa supporter. Just the entertainment, the spectacle, the atmosphere. It's just it's miles away. Yeah, I mean. It's 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 certainly going to be probably the biggest game of the playoffs bar the final. You know we've got Derby and Leeds uh, matching up against each other in the other semi final, and that's you know that's been spiced up a little bit by happenings throughout this season. You've got the the gate gate fiasco uh, that happened earlier in the season uh, with uh, Leeds United and uh, Marcelo Bielsa spying on a Derby County training session. Um, do you think you know that adds a little bit of a bit of spice to the game, and can Frank Lampard perhaps get revenge? Yeah, I think Frankie's definitely going to have a little bit of a an edge to his game, and he's going to try to get his players motivated for the whole gate gate thing. It, it that doesn't leave your mind at one point in time. If you think someone's cheating or someone's trying to get an advantage on you that's unethical, that's going to stay with you. That's going to be something you're going to you know want to get one up on them, and it just it's almost storybook how you know. Derby County and Leeds, like, they're meeting together in the playoffs after that whole thing. And Frank Frank had some very disparaging comments about it. I, I don't even think he was very pleased about what, you know, the punishment that Leeds, you know, had, you know, for the, the whole spying or whatever actually went on. But, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a factor. And, and to be honest, like, that might actually be something to, to, like, pump up the actual occasion. You know, you might actually see that through media outlets that uh, Frank wants to get over on, on Leeds. Did Leeds really do their homework that well? I think that's what you see. I mean, each of the playoff games has some kind of thing behind it. The only the only ethical playoff final would be Villa versus Derby. Um, you know, Villa facing West Brom. Um, there's the hand of Rod situation where Jay Rodriguez scored with his hand that stopped us getting all three points at the Hawthorns uh, towards the start of the season. And against Leeds, we've had the whole fiasco that happened literally just like two weeks ago. Um and obviously, with Derby leads, there's the the, the gate gate situation. So, you know, we're looking for revenge against the Baggies. Um, you know, if if everything was great, pious, and morally correct in the world, then we would beat the Baggies. Um, the same would go for Derby against Leeds, and then you'd have a lovely ethical final against Derby, who over two games this season we've beat seven nil, and we'd be pretty big favourites to win. But you know that's not always the case. But what I'm trying to say is that you know we, I think everyone's got well, not everyone, but both us and Derby, who some some may consider underdogs for the games, have that little bit extra to pay, uh, like play for. Yeah, and I actually think that that's going to be the final. I, th- I think Leeds is going to be Leeds. They've had so much drama surrounding them this year. You know, they haven't had a great you know great time here over the past like month or so. It's it's hard to say that, you know leads are falling apart again. We don't know what they're actually going to do against Derby County, but I just I just think that you know Lampard's going to have them guys so ready to go and like hey guys we made it. I mean there there was a time on the last day that they weren't even in the playoffs. 
Middlesbrough was in that last spot. You know, and it, it, the way it just ended up, they, they kind of squeaked in. And, you know, it's it, they're going to play their hearts out against Leeds. They're, they're going to have to. And they're going to they're gonna want to get one up on them. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that's one of the, the – that's actually the more entertaining of the playoff matchups is Derby Leeds over, you know, Villa and West Brom. I, I could see that being the case. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, I think – I think regardless, both both uh, semi-finals over both legs, there's there's going to be drama, isn't there? Oh, there's going to be a buzz. There's going to be drama. Atmospheres are going to be great. You know, for for both sets of games, it's it's going to definitely be a spectacle. This is this is what it's all about. This is you know why you have this long grueling season to get to this point. You want to be in the playoffs. And Villa defied all odds from where they were sitting on the table to get here. You know, Derby squeaking in. Leeds, you know, probably should have had out automatics. Almost every team has a storyline. You know, every there's you know there's, it's always says you know it's not it's not getting there. It's the you know the ride you take to get there and that's I think that's what we're seeing for all four teams the championship playoffs the world's greatest soap opera it, it really is I mean you think about it I've, everyone you know you can talk big about La Liga you can talk big about the Prem and everything but this if you follow a team that's in, in the championship this it's a very interesting very entertaining league it's there's rarely a dull moment I completely agree um, let's move away from talk of the pitch and talk around events on the pitch and let's talk about news that's been circulating around uh, social media and the club for the last week um rumors have been circulating that jack Grealish actually has a release clause of around 60 million pounds i can't see that being the case if we don't go up i think if we go up that 60 million release clause will stay um if we don't go up i believe that might drop to a aforementioned amount of around 40 to 45 million pounds um, but you know, if 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 we don't, if if we are, if we do go up and someone comes in and offer and like breaks his release clause, obviously it's up to him whether he talks to that club or not. But would would, would any team splash the cash for for Grealish? You know, sixty million pounds that are outside the top six. I'm not so sure, and that's it's not downplaying Jack. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a Villa supporter. I I watch Jack week in and week out. I think he's an absolutely fabulous talent, but if if the sixty million, I'm saying if 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 it's sixty million dollars for the, the release clause, if you know Villa go up, that's a really steep price in today's market. I don't know if any any team outside of the top six is going to splash that kind of cash for him. Not to mention, like you said, you know he's going to have to obviously agree to joining that team, you know, regardless of how much money they throw at it. And right now, with all the things with Jack Grealish, it seems like he has one thing in mind, and it's getting this club back to the Premier League and captaining Aston Villa in the Premier League. It's his childhood dream. That's what he wants to do. I don't, I don't know if Watford find a way, you know, to to they really, really want to splash some cash or just any other, you know, almost mid-table team. Sixty million is a lot of money, you know. And some of them Premier League teams, you actually, you know, pay attention to some of them. They do need working around. You know, teams are in different fluxes all the time. They're in different stages of maybe a rebuild, a soft rebuild. They have players getting on a little bit. They need to bring them more in. I don't. I don't see you know teams outside of the top six for sixty million for one player. It, it doesn't make sense on a business standpoint. And you know, I think it's going to take more than that. You know, to get to get Grealish somewhere else just because you're throwing money around. You're going to have to prove to him that it's a destination to get to him to England. That's what he. That's that seems like that's his ultimate end game is to play for England. You know, is that is that going to happen at a Crystal Palace? Is that going to happen at Watford I'm not so sure yeah for sure and you know like if we do get promoted there's there's every chance that we're going to see uh, Villa providing England with with international players again you know we had the likes of Fabian Delph um, Barry Milner at, at points in their careers um, 
but you know, if we go up and sign the players that we want, um, you know, we could be providing Abraham, we could be providing Grealish, uh, Mings. You know, if they're in good form, I can't see why they wouldn't be picked. But then again, you've got to look at Connor Cody at Wolves, who's had an outstanding season and still hasn't been capped. Yeah, and that happens, and it's it's not it's not fun to say that, but that that's what happens. Sometimes you just have an extraordinarily good season, you know, and sometimes you don't get a call up to England, and you don't get a call up to your international team. I mean, me being from the states, I see it all the time. You have these these really really good youngsters for the MLS, but it seems because they're young, they they maybe they might get a chance on like a preseason tour, you know, against against some countries that are you know in lesser standing than the United States national team is. But that's that's just kind of the way it goes. You got to keep grinding, and, and you know, for these young players, you know, even when you don't get your call up, it, it's you have to find a way to, to make for the situation to make you more determined to succeed. Okay, then I want to get better. I want to have a, a you know even better season next year. It's 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 a tough thing for any young player, but I mean, especially with Jack, I'm sure, you know, the comments from Southgate about you know he'd like to see him playing against you know Premier League teams, not Championship teams. I think that might have clicked something in Jack's mind at least at least it seems so maybe Jack always knew that he just needed to hear it from the England manager and now it seems like he wants to kick on with it yeah and obviously um, you know we, we, we've just talked about the fact that if we do sign Mings, Abraham etc if we were to go up that, that they'd potentially be shouts for England um, we've got a couple of, of things to discuss about the likes of Tammy and Mings um, today uh, FIFA partially rejected an appeal from Chelsea to lift their imposed two-window transfer ban after violating rules of signing underage players. Um, could we see this impact a potential signing of Tammy Abraham if we were to go up? Uh, a Chelsea are likely to want to keep him. You know what? What? What, what do you think might happen there? Uh, for me, I, I've been keeping pretty close tabs on what Sawyer's talking about with the loans and this transfer ban. Uh, I, I just want to see how it all worked out. Um, you know, so FIFA partially rejected the, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, they rejected the appeal from Chelsea to lift their two-window transfer ban, but they can still sign under-16 players. Uh, Chelsea has 40-plus players on, on loan right now, and Sarri recently, over the past 48 hours, has said he gets reports on all of them on a weekly basis. I don't know how true that is. I'm sure Chelsea has a massive scouting, you know, reach, and, and they're able to actually do that. But um, he, he said that there's some players that are out on loan that he's looking at, some players that he doesn't think they can play for, quote-unquote, this level. And he refused to name any names. He just pretty much kept saying, you know, we don't know what we're pretty much, we don't know what the, the future holds for these 40 plus players that we have out on loan. Um, if the if the ban comes down, you know, that they're actually not allowed to sign players in the next two transfer windows, they're going to have to raise money somehow. And the only reason I say that, you don't know what your team's going to look like, you know, in, in a, by this time coming into the summer next year. So maybe they are looking to unload players such as a Tammy Abraham, such as an Eden Hazard with all the speculation that surrounds him, just to even stockpile that money just so that when they do the, the band you know, lifts and they're able to buy players again, they actually have a little bit of a war chest to go out there and say, okay, we had to suffer for these two transfer windows. Now we're going to go all in with it. And you might actually see, this is one actually something I think people aren't looking into enough. It just kind of like, okay, yeah, Chelsea's transfer ban, ha, ha, ha. But no, really, like I think there actually might be a real shout that Tammy Abraham will be sold by Chelsea to the highest bidder. I really think it may happen. And, you know, the highest bidder doesn't necessarily mean that it will be Villa. You know, obviously, we still need to get promoted first, but Wolves were interested in, 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 in him in January. So it could very easily be uh, the likes of Wolves, although they have spent £32 million on Raul Jimenez. 
Yeah, but make no mistake, if, if Tammy Abraham gets, you know, if, if Chelsea gets an offer for somebody and Tammy Abraham sees that as an attractive football team to play for and it's a payday and Tammy Abraham's a very young man, he will snatch at that. We're not looking at a Jack Grealish. We're not looking at an Andre Green here. Like, he's going to want to get the most amount of money he possibly can. There's there's no there's no two ways about it. He's very young. He need, he, you don't know what's going to happen in a football career. So, you know, I'd hate to see him go to a Wolves. You know, I would prefer that he would come to the Villa. Obviously, he's a great talent, but, like, there's there's no guarantee that, okay, yeah, he's on the transfer list for Chelsea. Uh, he must be coming to the Villa. No, there's a really good shot if we get promoted. You could see him playing for, you know, one of the top six, top eight teams in the Prem. For sure, for sure. Um, and the other player that we, we need to discuss is uh, Tyrone Mings. Um, his manager at Bournemouth, Eddie Howe, has had some interesting things to say about his development at Villa. Um and Howe said that basically a playoff push with Villa is very good for, for Mings' development, both mentally and physically. And uh, Howe said that he's basically been in contact with Mings throughout his loan at Villa. Um, could could this be, you know, could this be Howe saying hmm, maybe he's not going to be leaving in the summer? Could it be saying, you know, look at this player, we're going to want to sell him in the summer? Um, you, you know, what, what, what do you think Howe's trying to do here by talking to the press? I think it kind of it dances on the razor's edge a little bit. It almost sounds like a manager who he I do believe he is keeping in contact with Tyron Mings. He spoke very eloquently about Mings, and you know he knows what's going on. He knows there's a playoff push. He knows Mings has been integral to the playoff push. I I think it's one of those things where it sounds like a manager that doesn't know what the future holds for one of his own players. You know you can say you can talk all the the nice things you want about his development. You can talk all the nice things you want about this is good experience for him, but also. You know, Eddie Howe saying these nice things about Tyra Mings might be him just kind of, you know, throwing throwing a dart at the board and being like, okay, how many people can I get calling me after I say this about a player? You know, he might have to raise some transfer funds himself with Bournemouth. And, you know, he, he might be able to be like, wow, this, you know, Tyra Mings out on loan doing great. I'm sure someone will throw money at him. You know, his basically his highlight reel speaks for itself. It, it's not it's not a hard search on YouTube to find how well Tyra Mings, Mings has been playing for Aston Villa with individual efforts, not only, you know, his team, but individually. So I, I think it's I think it's a tale of two things. It might be him honestly, you know, showing that he sees what Tyrone's doing. He wanted to say it publicly to be like, hey, you have a home here when you come back. Or it may be on the opposite of him just trying to find, you know, a transfer sum of money that might, might even be like crazily over Tyrone Mings' actual value. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's one of those things you don't know what someone's doing or why they're doing it, you know, unless they give you a reason. Um, but it raises an important question of, you know, next season we could be without both Mings and Twain Zabie. How do you think we'd fare if, if we had neither of those? Yeah, it would be one of those things you got to go get centre-backs at that point. I mean, we don't even know if Tommy Elphick's sticking around. You know, I mean, there's... It's almost one of those things. It's, it's starting to feel when you, you talk about how big getting promoted actually is. It may actually be bigger than if there is a, if there's a way. It might be bigger than last year in terms of. I don't think we'd ever go get Twanzebe, but I do think you you could get Prime Mings out of Bournemouth. I do think that Tammy would want to come here with the memory of playing for Villa fresh in his mind if we get promoted. But you know, if we lose Twanzebe and Mings. You know, that's you have to rebuild your center back court at that point. You know, that's that's just the way it is. I mean, I'm not forgetting about James Chester by any means whatsoever. But you know, he's coming off of an injury. We don't know if he's going to be look a little bit of a different player next season. So we don't want to get back into the whole thing where we have all this defensive depth and all of a sudden we have two or three you know actual you know center backs. We you know you got to have depth at a football club. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you know, should should Codger leave? Um, 
you know, we, we we've spoke about about Abraham um, should Codge leave as well. We're gonna we're gonna be seeing the only senior striker available or strikers available being uh, Scott Hogan, who's been linked pretty heavily with a move to Sheffield United. I'm not sure if there's any kind of promotion uh, clause that they have to buy him now, or um, Keenan. We've got Keenan Davis as well. Um, you know, we're going to need to to bolster our strike force, regardless of the league we're in. You know, we're going to be sold short. Um, you know, we've got the likes of Hepburn Murphy out on loan. We've got the likes of McCormack out on loan. Neither of those are going to be good enough for the Prem. I don't think. No, I don't think they're going to be good enough for the Prem either. But you're you're completely right. You know, it's with Kaji. You're asking if he should be, you know, if he should be sold or you know stick around. I I don't think he's going to stay. Um, I, I just think it's he, he gotta if, if, regardless of the division I think he gets sold I, I think his value is probably never going to be higher for his age uh, it's it's tough to say but like he's 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 too on and off he's a little too hot and cold for my liking and I, I've heard multiple multiple Villa supporters say the same thing on his day he's great we all know he's great and you know it may put Villa in a little bit of a situation by you know letting him go but maybe that's how you know you get a little bit extra transfer you know funds in and no, like you said no matter the division we, we don't know you know we could be looking at an entire back line of loans again next season and we'll be in the championship we just you know you don't you don't know what's going to happen I, I do think that it's time for Kaj to move on though it's it's disheartening to say you know he's had a you know a pretty special you know run here at Villa he's had some pretty special moments produced some some fun times but you know we got to get someone a little bit more consistent a little bit more team oriented I, I just don't think he fits Dean Smith's system and, and what Dean Smith's working towards at Aston Villa right now yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, let's let's talk about other things in the press, but this time rumours. Um, the, the first one I'm going to bring up, I literally just want a yes or no answer because we've been linked with him for over a year. Um, he's been released by his club, Brentford, um, and that's the centre-back, Barbe. Yes. That's all I needed. I think everyone knows it's going to happen, probably regardless of the league we're in. You know, it's a free transfer. Uh, you know, especially if we're going to lose the likes of Twanzebe. Um, You know, it, it's a no-brainer, really. The second is uh, coming from Turkey that Villa are going to try and snatch up a 17-year-old wonder kid in Erkan Eibel from uh, Mainz in Germany. The 17-year-old scored 17 goals in 23 matches for their under-19 team. Um, supposedly we're going up against the likes of West Brom, West Ham and Newcastle for the player um, do, do you think we should be spending money on some potentially world class youth players or should these funds be you know, used to solidify and improve the, 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 the senior squad um, it, it harks back to you know the Chelsea thing that you know they've signed players like Lucas Piazon who were considered wonder kids back in the day and they've not really kicked on. Yeah, I I think it has to be a nice balance for Villa, uh, especially right now that they have a pretty decent amount of youth players that are getting released in the summer. They've had their well wishes on on Instagram and different social media channels and stuff like that. Um, you know, if Villa want to go go get a, a wonder kid or two and they want to spend some money, you know that's great. But let's not. I don't remember the sum. You may remember the sum for uh, Jacob Bideau. Do you remember how much how much we paid for him and then he got released? You know, 
900,000. And then, right. then he just, what, we released them in, in January. So that, you know, I, that's not a very good investment. You know, I'm sure with new ownership and, and things of that nature and, and different, maybe a little bit different scouting and whatnot, they're going to know, you know, how much to pay and what your actual return on investment. You know, it, it's, it's always, it's always kind of crappy to use, uh, you know, business, you know, talk when you're talking about football, but it's still a business at the end of the day and teams are going to want a return on their investment. You know, you can't be spending millions, millions of dollars on, on these supposed wonder kids. And then, you know, two years later, they're playing in league one and you didn't get anything for them. So I think, you know, it would be nice to, you know, snatch up some of these maybe more world-class, more up and coming elite, uh, you know, talented young players, but on the other you know, side of it, you know, we kind of need a little bit of help right now as far as securing depth for the team especially going up to the Premier League. So, I mean, I, I think I think Villa should and they will strike a good balance between the two this coming summer. Yeah, and I, you know, there's nothing to say that this uh, this midfielder might not even fit into the uh, the senior squad straight away. You know, just just the fact that he's 17 doesn't stop him from being a senior squad player. Right, yeah. I mean, we, we've seen that previously. Colin O'Hare has been, just had runs in the team when he was, you know, a little bit younger than he is now. Um, you know, so I... I think if you got it, you got it. And there's no even saying, like you said, we get a 17-year-old um, from, I think he's playing in, yeah, in Germany, and, and he doesn't just walk right into the team. I mean, it's, it's definitely plausible. You never know. But obviously, you know, he's talented. He's talented. From what I looked up on him, I only got to see a little bit of video footage. He's definitely, you know, he has just great touches on the ball. He, he doesn't look like a 17-year-old whatsoever as, as far as his ability and, you know, being a technician on the ball definitely like the step over kind of type he's got pace to him but he's got long shots too it's not just tapping goals that he's scoring you know see you never know i beating out you know it's going to be hard beating out teams like west ham unless we get promoted but we'll see what happens and probably before we end let's let's go back to the west brom playoff fixtures um firstly what's your score prediction for the first leg home leg I'm going to say 3-0 to the Villa I think it's I think it's going to be something West Brom can't keep up in the middle of the park they don't have the pace and the away leg I'm going to say 1-0 to the Villa okay I think at home we're going to beat them 3-1 and I think at the Hawthorns they're going to beat us 1-0 and we're going to go through on aggregate that's not a bad shout that's not a bad shout at all um, do you have any specific hopes for the game uh, no one get injured. That, that's that's number one on the top of the list. No no yeah, knocks, completely. no injuries, no metatarsals, no broken fingers, no nosebleeds, nothing. I don't want to see nothing. I want them fresh coming off the pitches just like they went on. I think the one player that I'd be most concerned about getting injured is Jed Steer. Yep, I mean, Jed Steer and then Tammy with the shoulder. You don't know how that shoulder's going to react if, you know, he's going up for, you know, aerials or he comes he rolls on that shoulder the wrong way it's, it'll take it'll take just one roll of the shoulder the wrong direction he'll be right back off that pitch that shoulders are nothing to mess with i try telling people you know there's a lot of on twitter or he'll be fine he'll be fine you if even the most minor shoulder injury you touch that thing the wrong way he's done for the day i promise but even if tammy gets injured we've got koja who's had some kind of regular game time um, if Steer gets injured it, it's Kalinic who's recently come back and not been playing or Sarkic you know, if it, it, I think I think there's a big difference between the, the, the comparable players on who would be replacing uh, an injury, and right. obviously I think those probably are the two biggest worries in Abraham and Steer. But I think Steer just edges it for me. Yeah, and and Dean Smith was was really 
I mean, almost jokingly, like, oh yeah, he just like rolled his ankle a little bit. He's fine. But I mean, that's that's our that's our goalkeeper now. You know what I mean? Like that's our that's our number one. And you you know, I know Villa brought in two keepers this year, and we've used five, or I think the number's five. But you know, I mean, if Jed Steer hobbles off that pitch and Sarkic got to go in the in the net, like every time the ball crosses, you know, the middle of the pitch for West Brom, like I will be on edge. Like, I know that, you know, I don't get that feeling from Jed Steer just because he's been such a rock, you know, the past X amount of games. But at the same time, you know, that's how youngsters make a name for themselves, you know. It, it could happen and he might make himself a hero at Villa Park. Right. But, you know, that's that, we're talking in hypotheticals. Right. Um, I think that's probably the best place to end this podcast. Um, I need to go and pack, uh, get, get my suit ready for the FBAs. Um, I'm sure you've got things that you need to be doing, and I'm pretty sure we're both pretty nervous to uh, to, to see where we're going to be the next time we're recording this podcast. We're either going to be in a player final or we're going to be uh, down in the dumps. Yeah, I'm just I'm hoping for the best. I, I really do think that West Brom's the best test for Villa, out of, you know, out of the four teams that we could have played or out of the three teams we could have played. But I, don't, I just I think Villa's pace and the you know the skill on the ball. I think it's gonna best West Brom. Don't hold me to it, but we'll see. We'll listen to back on this in a month and see if Marky was right or not. Either way, I'm sure it'll be full of drama. Um, thank you very much for listening, guys. We will be back after the second leg next week and we will be discussing everything about the two games we'll be discussing what the fbas was like and much much more if you enjoyed the podcast please like and subscribe and comment on whichever platform you're listening on uh, follow us on twitter at villa lamp uh, follow us on facebook forward slash under a gaslit lamp uh, follow us on Instagram at underagastic lamp, or you can visit our website and read many of our match reports, blogs, opinion pieces, and anything else that we do on www.underagastitlamp.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>